October. Please uh, go back to last week's episode of the Audible Interlude podcast that is a G.I. Joe podcast that many people enjoy who are not even G.I. Joe fans. Uh, Check that out. It is spookily themed. Uh, We had a lot of fun recording it and we have gotten some good feedback on it so far. Uh, Last year we did an actual full bore Halloween episode, but this year scheduling has just been a monster (laughs) Uh, for all the podcast stuff that I've had going on. So I am maintaining the uh, Audible interlude in place of a Needless Things episode for the time being. Uh, because it's just made my life a whole heck of a lot easier. And don't we all just need that right now? Uh, This week on the show, we are presenting... Courtesy of the horror track from DragonCon. This is a live panel about Evil Dead. Uh, the the first Evil Dead movie that we recorded uh, at DragonCon this year. It is an awesome panel. We've got some great guests on it. We have a whole lot of fun talking about Evil Dead. Uh, you are going to enjoy it. I am very happy to bring it to you. Throughout the rest of the month, we have an all-new Dead Man's Playlist... An all-new Needless Commentary, and a very special episode all about ghosts. So lots of fun, spooky stuff planned throughout the rest of the month. Please do stay tuned. Please do tell your friends about Needless Things. Uh, I don't have any particularly spooky news, but I'm just going to go into a few things that I wanted to talk about. Uh, First of all, please check out the Needless Things YouTube channel. I will have spooky toy reviews all month long, although I am finding I'm having to sort of sprinkle in some non-spooky toy reviews as well because there are things that pop up that I I just can't wait to open up and review. So every Monday and Wednesday in October, there will be a spooky toy review. Last week, uh, 
Oh, wait, no, last week there was no spooky because this is the first week of October. I feel like, okay, this sounds weird. I feel like October started late this year, if that makes sense, because we got October 1st was a Saturday, or was it a Friday? I don't know. My work schedule is so jacked up. I don't know what's happening when. No, October 1st was a Friday, which is why the first uh, Audible interlude went up. So October 1st was a Friday, so it felt like we went into a weekend starting October and and have like a little extra October time in a weird way. Uh, I don't know. That's just what it feels like to me because I put up all of our outdoor decorations uh, the weekend before that. Whereas usually the first weekend of October is when I put all that up. So sometimes you miss a few days, uh, but this time I, I knew I was going to be working a five-day stretch uh, going into that first weekend, so I wanted to go ahead and get it done. So it's been done for a little while. We've been watching uh, Friday the 13th, the series, is back in my rotation again. I love it. Uh, we've watched a few movies uh, that if you're following me on Facebook or Instagram, uh, Phantom Troublemaker on Instagram. Uh, well, Facebook is pretty much just, uh, I've limited that down to just friends now. But publicly, you can follow me on uh, Instagram at Phantom Troublemaker and follow Needless Things Podcast on Instagram. Uh, but uh, cool, spooky stuff. There's some good stuff out there. Uh, I recommend Nightbooks on Netflix. That was a lot of fun. Uh, but But I just feel like this is the first Needless Things episode, but things have been spooky for like a couple of weeks now, which is great. Uh, so anyway, this week on the Needless Things YouTube channel, I reviewed the... When, when I recorded the review, I was ecstatic that I had actually managed to find one. Now, you, you can't swing a dead cat in Walmart without hitting one of these. The Friday the 13th Part 7 New Blood Jason Ultimate Figure... Uh, I, I found it a few weeks ago, and I was like, oh my gosh, I found one. Great. It's got a banged up box, but I don't care. I'm going to get it because who knows if I'll ever even see it again. And now every Walmart I go into has like a dozen of them. Uh, but that's good news because it's a fantastic figure that you should go out and buy. Uh, please check out that review. And then on Wednesday, I reviewed a really weird and overpriced Creature from the Black Lagoon Bendy that's from a new series of bendable figures that are 15 bucks each, which is preposterous. Uh, so this is the only one of those I'll be buying and the only one I'll be reviewing. But the review is still fun. You can go check that out. And then on Tuesday, I put up a review of the G.I. Joe Classified Series Breaker and Ram set uh, because I've reviewed everything from the Classified Series so far. And I, I just I wasn't going to wait until November to put that up. So I went ahead and reviewed that as well. And and there might be a couple more uh, non-spooky reviews coming, but like I said, every Wednesday and, and Monday throughout the rest of the month, you will be seeing some spooky reviews. And there's some good stuff coming, you guys. Uh, all right. So that's that for... I, I think I put everything over I wanted to put over uh, for the intro. Now let's talk about Mezcon, which happened last weekend. Uh, there wasn't a ton, but there were a few things worth mentioning. Uh, they revealed this is uh, Mezco, the fantastic toy company, one of my favorite toy companies. Uh, they just had some reveals that they did uh, last weekend. And one of the first ones was a Silver Age Batman versus Two Face box set that we didn't see the full set. They haven't revealed everything yet, but these are. Like, think the Batman Brave and the Bold cartoon. Like, c 
kind of that, which I understand to, that to comic book fans, they understand like that's that Silver Age look. But for the the more casual fan, I'm trying to get the idea of, of what you're looking at here. These look amazing. And they're not something I necessarily would have thought of Mezco as doing in the 112 Collective style. But, I mean, they're going to be must-haves. They, they look absolutely fantastic. They're bright and colorful. The sculpting is amazing. Uh, these were very exciting. A, a great opening day reveal. Uh, they are releasing an MDS Roto Plush Pennywise that is one of the creepiest things I've ever seen in my life. Uh, if you have seen these, I guess they're around 18 inches tall, and I didn't even realize it until I saw the Ghostface one from Scream. They seem to me to be based on those Spencer Gifts uh, figures that I've talked about so many times on the show the with the plastic heads and the voice chip inside or sound chip inside uh they're plush on a wire armature and these seem very much inspired by that we've got the modern pennywise upstairs and it's just horrifyingly creepy uh and they are doing a classic tim curry pennywise as well and it's it's literally one of the scariest things i've ever seen in my life uh so we'll be getting that uh, and then they also revealed from their Five Points collection, which are the, the figures with five points of articulation that are possibly more overpriced than Super 7's five points of articulation figures, uh, their Five Points XL series that's so far been Godzilla, uh, Godzilla versus Hedorah from 1971. Uh, really, you know, cool-looking set. It looks like it's got the two different... Four Hedorah is the... I think the smog monster. Pardon me, my Godzilla knowledge is not always on point, let alone five points. Ha-ha-ha! <laughs> uh, but it comes with the two different forms of Hedorah, or Hedera, or whatever. I don't know. They look awesome. It's not something I'll probably get, uh, because I'm, I'm actually a big fan of the sort of cheapo Bandai Godzilla figures that you can get from Walmart, because it seems like it's either those, or like a $250 figure. Like, those seem like the only options for Godzilla collectors. Uh, so that was day one. Those uh, cool reveals. Every single one of them, cool reveals, stuff that I liked seeing. Uh, and then day two, we got a Power Rangers box set, all five Rangers in the 112 collective style. It looks incredible. Not anything I'm interested in. You guys know Power Rangers are not my bag, but if you are a big Power Rangers fan, this is the five original Rangers. And again, I don't know everything that's going to be included with these 112 Collective sort of teaser. Well, it's not a teaser. It's a reveal, but I guess the initial reveal, they never tell you everything. They just give you the sort of picture of the figures. So, I mean, these look awesome. If I was a Power Rangers fan, this this would be an instant pre-order for me. Uh, and then, and you know, they're going to come with all the hands and heads and weapons and accessories and like all the crazy stuff that Mezco does with these. I'm, I'm looking at these things now, even just the detailing on the gloves, like there are details on these uniforms that I've never noticed in Power Rangers before. Uh, and, and that, you know, admittedly, that is a very, very casual, uh, awareness of Power Rangers, but these things look incredible. Uh, this one is the one, this is the superstar of the whole weekend to me. A Tower of Fear playset that includes five of Mezco's monster figures. Uh, Frankenstein, Dracula, the Wolfman, the Mummy, and the Creature. 
if you remember last year, I did a review of Mezco's Translucent Green Glow-in-the-Dark Five Points uh, Frankenstein that I love, and I've been kind of waiting for more of these figures to show up and it just they haven't done anything else and now it's happening now all like the five figures and then this playset which is i'm going to charitably call it an old school playset i don't know what it's made of uh, it would be very easy to say it's construction not construction paper <laughs> it's not that bad uh cardboard i'm sure it is a relatively thick durable type of like uh thicker cardboard because i mean they've got monsters standing in it and stuff so it's not like it's it's uh gonna be cheapo stuff i'm very curious to see the price point on this though because the figures you know if they're 15 bucks a piece that's 75 bucks just for the these five figures and then i don't know how mezco is going to value this playset. what 30 bucks is this going to be you know, a hundred, hundred and twenty-five dollars. I don't know. I'm, I'm very interested to see how this shakes out. But it, I mean, it looks like a must-have item to me. This, this Tower of Fear is beautifully uh, designed graphically. It, it, it has uh, layers to it. It's not just like a flat piece, and it has platforms where the characters can stand. Uh, I can't wait to see more about this set. And then the figures themselves are Mezco's uh, vision of Frankenstein, the creature, Dracula, Wolfman, and Mummy. They're all very highly stylized and unique and different, uh, which to me makes them more interesting. And don't get me wrong, I love the Universal Monster stuff, and I'm buying all those NECA figures despite me saying I wasn't going to, but I love different takes on these monsters as well, and Mezco has a unique vision and a unique style that lends itself to monsters. So th this is, as long as the price isn't insanely outrageous, this is going to be a must-have for me. Uh, and then finally, we've been waiting since even before the Fantastic Four set was announced, Mezco revealed a 112 Collective Doctor Doom it looks just as incredible as you think. Uh, I can't wait to see more about this thing. I'm not even going to say more about it. It's it's You need to see the pictures. If you go to Mezco's website, you can find their blog on there. Uh, and they've got the two pictures that were posted. Or if you're following uh, Needless Things Podcast on Instagram, I share all of these pictures. I, I try to be a centralized source for what I'm interested in. So maybe you're not necessarily following every toy company on the planet, but I am. And I'll repost everything that I think is cool. So follow Needless Things Podcast, uh, but but probably also follow Mezco because pretty much everything they put up is interesting and fun. Uh, so that is that. Super 7 uh, also had an event, and I am pulling up the webpage now because I wasn't sure if I was going to talk about it, but I'm, I'm really quickly going to just cover uh, what they had available the super seven spectacular wish we were there a con uh, there there are a few cool things here i didn't buy a single thing super seven has been and this is okay with me some of their events lately haven't had a whole lot that i guess was compelling to me is the way to put it so what we have uh, and these things are all still available on their website which 
shows to me that maybe they're not compelling to everybody because oftentimes the Super 7 uh, events or whatever, things would sell out pretty darn quick and that doesn't seem to be the case with these last few. Uh, there is a Godzilla reaction figure that comes in a nice uh, window box rather than the blister card. He's got this. This confuses me about this figure, and maybe it's based on something specific. He has glow in the dark feet, hands, and head, and it's their reaction version of the old Shogun Warriors Godzilla or Super so Super Shogun Godzilla uh, in reaction figure form. I don't know. It's just not. You know I love glow-in-the-dark stuff, and if the whole figure was glow-in-the-dark, oh, it looks like his spines are also glow-in-the-dark, or fins on his back, whatever you want to call them. If the whole figure was glow-in-the-dark, I probably would have bought it. But just the head, hands, and feet are glow-in-the-dark, that's weird to me. And, and it, you know, let me know in the Needless Things Podcast Facebook group or wherever you can get a hold of me if this is based on something specific. Uh, because it, it just is weird and, and not really anything I particularly want. Uh, so anyway, there's that. Uh, there is a new Papa Emeritus 2 ghost reaction figure in his live guise. Uh, I have the older version of this. It's it's packaged beautifully on the ghost cross thing. Uh, it's a great little reaction figure. 20 bucks is a bargain for this, in my opinion, because the packaging is so beautiful. Uh, now, you are going to spend more than that to get it into a frame, if you're so inclined. Uh, but it's a gorgeous piece, and if you missed the last one, I recommend you grab this one. Uh, there's a G.I. Joe enamel pen of the Defiant. I never had the Defiant. It was after my time of collecting G.I. Joe, so uh, that's just not for me. There's a bunch of shirts and other pens and things. Uh, and, and that's, uh, that's it, I guess. Oh, there was a, a Zarface figure as well, but it looks like that one sold out. So that one, well, all of the Zarface figures have sold out, so that's no surprise. Uh, so there you go. That is, uh, Super 7's event that, I'll be honest, kind of was a little bit of a letdown for me, but also a little bit of a relief because I didn't spend a bunch of money. All right, you guys, it is time to venture into Dragon Con so that we can venture into a cabin in the woods, a remote cabin where friends must deal with horrors they never expected. Join us as we take a look at the classic, the legendary, the horrifying Sam Raimi's Evil Dead. <laughs> swallow your soul. They don't, I don't think, they, they don't actually say we'll swallow your soul in this one. I'm trying to remember now. Because uh, I watched it, that that was supposed to lead directly into the the uh, panel, but but I now I've got to think about this. So, with for for this, I watched just Evil Dead, and did not watch anything else because I wanted Evil Dead to be fresh in my mind because I know how easy it is for your brain, especially with Evil Dead and Evil Dead Two, to sort of conflate elements from the two different movies, which by the way happened during this panel keep your ears open and you will hear one of the panelists uh do exactly that which is completely understandable so i just watched evil dead so my my information would be fresh and i i would know exactly what was in that film and uh you know the deadites aren't quite as i mean they're horrifying and they they do horrifying things 
But I don't know that the term swallow your soul actually pops up in the first Evil Dead. That might just be an Evil Dead 2 thing. So pretend I didn't say swallow your soul. Pretend I just said, uh, and now it's time to cabin in the woods with friends, evil, blah, blah, blah. Ladies and gentlemen, Evil Dead. Well, the door closed, so I guess that means you're all trapped in here for the next hour. Talk about John Candy's classic Uncle Buck. <laughs> Actually, for anybody, is anybody in here old enough to remember the 80s well? Mm-hmm. Okay, I've, I've got a little treat for you real quick. Just, just uh, take this in. It's good stuff, right? All right. I'm going to stop hitting the microphone with it any minute now. Uh, all right, everybody ready to go? Yeah. We got to get started talking about Evil My name is Dave West. Uh, I run the Needless Things podcast and basically anything that will put a microphone in front of me. Uh, and to my left... Um, I'm Christopher G. Moore. I'm a filmmaker, and one of the main reasons I became a filmmaker is because of the Evil Dead franchise. So I'm also a podcaster. I'm part of Gruesome uh, Magazine, uh, Horror News Radio, and then uh, Heroes and Droids podcast. I'm Ryan Cadaver. I am uh, the singer of the Casket Creatures, a local horror punk band. Um, I'm also uh, part of the Needless Commentary crew and uh, part of the Big Damn Game Show. I am uh, Nicole Cadaver. Uh, I am a huge horror nerd, uh, podcaster, part of the Needless Commentary crew. I also run a podcast called Caught Dead Watching about uh, really bad horror movies. Um, the worst horror movies. <laughs> Barn of the Blood Llama. Yeah, throw, throw that one out there. Let's see if it <laughs> yeah. gets a response. Uh, probably going to have a screening of it next year, maybe. But Barn of the Blood Llama best worst movie you've never seen if you want to get a copy you have to come to me because that's pretty much the only copies back in existence so is everybody hearing from those mics? yeah i don't hear yeah this is not on this one's not i can project enough is this cool everybody can hear me okay i don't need a mic i am a mic good mic drop yeah i'm clay gilbert i'm an author of horror fantasy dark fantasy and science fiction i write novels for Dark Moon Press, and I'm also a big Evil Dead fan. I saw the original Evil Dead on video, VHS video, back around 1984. Uh, saw the others in the theaters. Just been a big fan of what Sam Raimi does with zombies for a long time. So what I want to ask you guys, something I'm curious about, uh, and this seems to come up more in this room on the horror track than it does anywhere else, because horror is uh, such a, an easy genre to sequelize, you know, we, we talk about the sequels as much as we talk about the original movies. I did not see the first Evil Dead first. I saw Evil Dead 2 before I saw the Evil Dead. Uh, what was your experience? What, what, did you find the first one first or did you have to go back to it? 
Uh, I mean, I, I saw the first one first, you know, because I was during the heyday of the video rentals and stuff, renting every kind of horror film I could uh, get my hands on. And, uh, yeah, but I... And as you can tell, I'm a big fan of Evil Dead 2. It's my favorite horror film ever made. Um, but still, when you go back to the original, which is... I think a lot of people see Bruce Campbell as the Ash in the second one. But in the first one, he's much more dramatic. He's less goofy and crazy. Um, he still gets the shit beat out of him. But, uh, which, you know, which Sam Raimi likes to do. But yeah, I, I, I love the first one. And I think at that specific time, if you look at a lot of the, at least the American uh, horror films, a lot of the camera work is very stationary. And Sam Raimi, he did a lot of really cool stuff with the camera. It was very kinetic. You know, Evil Dead 2 is basically a more comedic remake of the first, and he goes even crazier with the camera work. And for, for me, that's what made me latch onto it and make me love it so much, because it wasn't just sort of a lot of stationary camera stuff. It wasn't more about the effects. It was more about movement of the camera to either put you in the mindset of the the evil or the or the victims or or or, or you know the evil coming at you from the woods and that kind of stuff so um but yeah I, I was i was a fan of the first one but in the second one i was an even bigger fan but i still appreciate for the first because it still break it broke a lot of molds for us to how you do uh, horror, and I think a lot of people sort of copied a lot of stuff along the way. Well, and that's kind of the difference I'm curious about, because to me, I saw Evil Dead 2 first, and the comedy is so upfront in that one, because basically the first, what, ten minutes of Evil Dead 2 retell Evil Dead and then take off, but the Evil Dead, when I went back to it, it is, while it does have a lot of amusing stuff in it, very little is outright comedy in the way that Raimi's later films would be and I didn't initially like The Evil Dead because I was like why isn't this funny? Mm -hmm. why, why is this Ash guy compassionate in this one? Like why is he... He's a good dude in this movie. He's getting <laughs> mad at his buddy for being a jerk to the girls. Like, And I'm like that's not Ash! But it's, it's a very different thing because this is the first one and none of them knew really who the characters were, what they were doing. Like, they knew where they wanted to go, but this is the, the soul of independent filmmaking. What about you guys? Did you see the first one first? Or, or, or what was your initial reaction to that first one? Was it colored by experience of Raimi's later, later movies? I came to the first Evil Dead, and I did see the first one first. I came to the first Evil Dead through Stephen King's review in Fangoria magazine, and 1982, and uh, I've always been a big King fan, so I knew that if this was this, this movie had excited King so much, I wanted to see it. So when it came out on VHS, I went to my video store and found it. And Evil Dead is my favorite of the whole thing, and it's my favorite of the whole thing because it is more or less tonally very serious. Uh, I don't like Army of Darkness. Let me piss off half the people in the room, but I don't like Army of Darkness. I think they lost the horror. I mean, I appreciate what it does. I did love Evil Dead 2, but Evil Dead 2 strikes a balance to me between the horror and the comedy, and it's essentially a remake of Evil Dead 1, which is why I think you don't really need, sad to say, you don't need it from, you don't need to have seen the first one from a standpoint. Anyway. Um, <clears throat> my first experience was Army of Darkness, and it's still my favorite, actually, of the franchise. But uh, I remember back in the day, I would rent a tape as a kid, and I would just watch that movie for as long as we had the rental, and I would just watch it over and over and over again. 
So I rented two tapes. It was that, it was Army of Darkness and Return of the Jedi. And I just watched those. I had not seen the other ones at all. So I was like very confused. I was just like, what's happening in both of these movies? Like, what is happening? This is crazy. Uh, but then I talked to my dad about it. I was like, Army Darkness, this is my jam. And, you know, my dad, big horror fan, let me watch rated R movies, didn't care. He's like, hell yeah, you want to watch Hellraiser? Let's go. Um, so, um, you know, I was like, I was like, yeah, I want to see these other movies. And he's like, I don't know if you're ready for this. I'm like, oh, no, I am. I love Army Darkness. I love chainsaws. I love zombies. This is great. And he's like, all right, let's go. And uh, I watched the first Evil Dead, and I was petrified. Like I was like, this is nothing like what I wanted <laughs> at all. It terrified me. Uh, I was also a very uh, small lad at the time. I, uh, if memory serves, I think I saw the first one first. I had um, a neighbor up the street that, even in like the mid-'80s, had this huge VHS collection. They were all like bootleg VHS. It was like a wall of, you know, the old copied VHS tapes with handwritten labels on them. And uh, I was not allowed to watch anything that my mother considered to be a slasher movie, uh, which her idea of slasher was very broad. But, so I wasn't allowed to watch anything that was a slasher movie because it was the 80s and slasher movies were you know, destroying mankind and going to turn us all into degenerates. So I would go to my neighbor's house and I would uh, you know, pick through her movie collection and watch stuff. So I believe that I saw the first Evil Dead there sometime in the mid-80s. And then later on, watched Evil Dead 2 and I had no idea that it was kind of like a reboot as opposed to a sequel, and I remember being like, huh? But, but, wait, they, didn't this happen? But it's different. It was confusing, what? right? Yeah. I thought he, I thought he went it. back. Yeah. I you thought know? he, after all that stuff happened in one, he went back to the cat. I was like, what are you doing, dude? Yeah, yeah, and I was like, why is he acting like he doesn't know yeah. what happened? <laughs> yeah. What the hell's happening? Uh, and then, I, you know, I, obviously I figured it out, but I remember being like, What? Well, and at the time that came out, there was no such thing as a reboot, really. Like, yeah. We, yes. And like, because that's, it's not a remake of the first one, it, it because it retells that story at the beginning and essentially takes it in a different direction. But the point that I wanted to make here is that at this point in our lives, uh, you mentioned before that we think of Bruce Campbell as Bruce Campbell from Evil Dead 2. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is so difficult to extricate the Evil Dead from the rest of the franchise. Like, when we picture Bruce Campbell in our heads, we do not picture this young babyface leading man Bruce Campbell. We picture an amalgamation of what we've known him as since we saw that first movie. So in going back, because I, I, this was very difficult. I went back and I watched The Evil Dead to, to prepare for this panel, and I did not watch Evil Dead 2 and Army of Darkness because I didn't want... You know, I wanted to keep it crystal clear yeah. of what we were talking about of what it was and I realized in 20 years I haven't done that if I watch the first one I watch the other one it's like that it's like Star Wars it's like a well like Star Wars used to be it's like a thing so the point I wanted to make is we're going to talk about the evil dead we're going to wrap the end of the panel up and talk about sort of its impact but I want to focus on this first movie and how it does stand out and how on its own it changed so much about horror but real quick i want to say you guys know about the boys and girls club charity uh we're gonna have to get out of this room real quick at the end of the panel so if you want to drop in this bucket come up here at any time and do it you know don't make a big scene or anything unless you're ash 
but just drop a little something in the bucket there. Does Dragon Con always partners up with worthy charities, and we want to help them out. Uh, all right, so now we are going to focus on the Evil Dead, the first one. These rebel filmmakers who've been friends for years and years and years, and I mean, made their dream come true essentially, and inspired future generations of filmmakers to see, wow, look what you can do. Because going back and watching this on its own, I mean, it's it's incredible. You you don't you don't really realize how impressive everything that they did is. Well, you know, they had a very limited budget. They got money from, like, their dentists and family and stuff to help make it. Um, it took them many years to even make their money back on it. But, I mean, the, I guess for me, as a filmmaker, I always like, when I see films, I like the behind-the-scenes stuff. And, and the, the story behind it is just as interesting, the movie, to my uh, in my eyes, because they created stuff. Like, they didn't have a steady cam, so they made their shaky cam, which is a long board with a camera in the middle, which my film, Backward Creek, we actually tried to replicate that. For me, it's very cyclical. I'm actually cr creating a shot like they, they did. They had a Vaso cam, which was just a camera on basically Vaseline on a board because they didn't have, a, they didn't have money to have a slider. Uh, so it's just all these technical stuff and a lot of the shots, like, shots they came up on set. So that just shows you how Sam Raimi, how inventive and creative he is. Because, I, I mean, just watching again, there's so many creative angles. I'm like, how did they do that? Because there's like one, the camera goes from behind his head to over his head. There's a lot of, a lot of camera shots that are just way out there. Um, and just the inventiveness along with the camera work, along with the sound design, um, even the music. I mean, because we all remember the sort of the love thing that they sort of use in, uh, in Evil Dead 2 as well. But um, So yeah, all that stuff came together and you had these people who were living in the house. You know, a, a lot of them got sick afterward. I think one of them got their, uh, one of the actors got her eyelashes ripped off because of the makeup. So there's a lot of uh, uh, suffering that went along to make this, but it was worth it in the end because I think it... If you compare this film to a lot of films uh, around that time, they were just not doing a lot of inventive stuff with the camera. And when you have a group of sort of like guerrilla filmmakers going in there, let's see what kind of cool shit we can come up with. And it was just, and just as a filmmaker, it's, for this to be like 1981, it, it, all that crazy stuff that now you see in the Edgar Wright movies and a lot of these big movies now, that this is the beginning of that where it's like, hey, you can be inventive and you don't have to have a lot of money to do that. It's just more about passion. It's like, well, how can we how can we pull this off? Well, you know, by just putting stuff on a board. So Yeah, I think, you know, to kind of expand on what you're talking about with creative camera work and budget and things like that, one of the things that strikes me and I really love about the original Evil Dead is because of budget constraints they had to be super creative. So instead of making a monster they use the camera as a character in the movie, as the monster, you know? And it, you know, I think it was because of budgetary and, and being realistic constraints, but it's so terrifying. You know, just every shot of the, the monster, the demon, the bad guy, is the POV rushing, sped up at you. And they turned the camera into a character in the film, which, is so creative and so unique and it's just that like that guerrilla filmmaking of okay so we can't make a big giant you know rubber monster or whatever what can we do and they created this thing that ended up being way more scary than if they had 
made a monster in some way. That's one of the things that I absolutely love the most about it, was that crazy camera work and turning it into another character in the, in the film. All of the camera work, too, and another thing I really liked about the movie, it came out at such a time in the 80s when all the tropes of 80s horror movies had not started to emerge yet, and uh, it was just... It was unpredictable. I'm watching it for the first time. I had no idea what was going to happen mm-hmm. next. Yep. And that was awesome. Um, yeah. You know, it's kind of fun to play with tropes uh, and stuff like that. Uh, but it's fun it's to go great. back and, and think about like, oh, this wasn't a thing right. when they did this. Right. You know, now you know we see so many things and well, so many formulas and and all that. But you know, th- this is the you know, one of the movies that wrote the script on those those trips, and it's Absolutely. amazing. Um, going back five minutes from my house. Going back to what you're saying about all the suffering uh, that went on filming this movie, I feel like it the grueling like agony of the actors comes through in the movie. Yeah, absolutely. because of the actual like suffering they went through. Like the art became a reality. Like it, well, Sam Raimi is noted for making his actors suffer, especially Bruce Campbell. Uh, <laughs> he kind of enjoys it, and he yeah. actually feels that gives the best performances if the actors are suffering. But you know, like. The, the very last shot um, with the camera where he busts through the, through the cabin, mm-hmm. he's on a bicycle. He's got the camera on a bicycle. He just <laughs> rides into the house. So something just simple as that gives you the sort of makes you feel like you're this evil force going through the house. But, but then you, you think about it, you know, behind the scenes you have like, ding, ding, you know, going through the house with a camera. That would have been pretty terrifying too. Well, that, they just probably. That I'm yeah. sure Sam Raimi can make it terrifying. Yeah. So, and, and that's a great segue because I want to talk a little bit about the cast because, you know, since since we originally saw this movie, we've seen tons of independent films. Independent horror has become a massive movement in and of itself. Uh, and and uh, it could be argued since then, it really has been. But I feel like this cast, they're, they're just kind of magical. Mm-hmm. They don't, there's no awkwardness that you see in a lot of, uh, you know, only only a couple of them, I think, had real acting backgrounds. Uh, mostly it was people that they knew, but I think they had a genuine chemistry. I think that the moment you see them in the car together... Well, and what's smart about Raimi is we see him in the car, they're traveling up to the cabin, and then he gives them that experience of the truck yeah. coming yeah. straight at them, which... The truck, the truck had the logs on the back, and it was supposed to do the classic bit of truck swerves, logs roll off the back, and then the guys with the truck got there on the day, and they were like, oh, we can't do that. So now the truck just swerves. But that shot of all of them in the car, with, with Bruce Campbell ridiculously sticking his head out the back window yeah. yes. so that you can see him in the shot, but it creates a shared experience of intensity for the cast but also for the audience. So at that moment, you're you're in, and you like these people, and you're like, whoo, we got through that one, what's next? And and it's very clever to put that moment in at the beginning of the movie. And then from there, the cast kind of takes it on themselves to, to be genuine and, and likable, and you don't really want to see bad things happen to them, except for, uh, what's his name, the jerk? The, the guy that's honestly more Ash than Bruce Campbell in this one. Yes. Yeah. 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 Scott, yeah. thank you. I've got it in my notes, but I forgot my glasses, so I'm, things are a little blurry for me. Uh, so that, 
cast-wise, looking at this compared to other horror movies of the time or other independent horror, do you guys have any thoughts about this cast? I mean, I think that it's cool because uh, most of them actually get to play basically two characters, which is interesting, because they're themselves and their Deadite versions, which, mm -hmm. uh, I mean, that right there is impressive as hell to me. And each Deadite is distinctive. Very. Yeah. Very. They yeah. have personalities. They're not all just, like, sort of shambling, you know going to get you things you've got one that giggles one that yep. floats and i like they're they're, they're different which yeah, is an interesting thing you know Lin linda's the girlfriend yeah you know she is just incredible you know she sits there and and when she's not a deadite she's kind of vanilla right like she's whatever but when she's sitting there in her nightgown with her crazy eyes and just giggling and you know wow well, we're gonna get you. It's it's incredible. Her performance is so frightening, um, and it comes like out of nowhere. It's just I, I feel like you didn't really expect her to have that in her, and then I mean she just goes she goes from like a three to an eleven, you know. <laughs> and I wonder how Raimi encouraged them to because I can only imagine him just like we need that bigger. Yeah, more. No, nope, more. We need that bigger. More. Just keep going you know I, I i would love to see yeah. some of that because there there's so many it's amazing the archive of information that's available about this movie considering the conditions under which it was made but all the dvd releases all the blu-ray releases like there's tons and tons of stuff to watch and learn about how this movie was made it's, it's wonderful and and it's also wonderful that Raimi still owns it he mm -hmm. or acknowledges it like he doesn't look back and like oh well that's this little thing i did it's a little embarrassing he still talks about evil dead he's done commentaries in the past i think 10 years for releases like he still loves this movie and appreciates and recognizes what it did for him and i think that's cool too because a lot of filmmakers sort of tend to bury their their older stuff their yeah. experimental stuff uh, and i think it's awesome that he embraces it well, but I think there's a reason they can embrace it because it's damn good, you know. I mean, yep. there's a lot. I mean, as somebody, I don't. I'm not going to show a lot of my early stuff because it looks like crap. But <laughs> I wish that would have been my first. I mean, I hope, I hope my first feature is even close to that. I mean, it's so well done. And, and you know, when you talked about like, the actors and stuff, there do, there does feel to be a chemistry between them, you know. And and even just the goofy things like ha ha ha, you know, you know, I'm going to get you type uh, things that happen. You believe it, you know, and you believe the concern in their eyes when things start hitting the fan. Although we'll say there is one moment that that's, that makes me laugh. Probably not in, it wasn't intentional. Is when the guy comes back after he's been beat the crap out outside. Yes, yes. And he's like, "You're going to be okay." I was like, "This guy's on his deathbed. I don't think. Yeah. I don't yeah. think he's going to be okay." Well, when he's uh, trying to trying to give him the booze, he's yeah. like, "Here, just have a little of this. Yeah. This will make it feel better." And dude's clearly just dead. It yeah. is just dribbling out of his mouth. Yeah, that's and I think that's because one of the investors apparently after seeing the movie was furious and said, I thought you told me I was investing in a horror movie. This is a comedy. And you can see where just Raimi's sensibilities, even though he was making a serious horror movie, there are those moments like that. And even when uh, when Ash goes out the door to, to get away from what's in the cabin and then Scott bloodied and beaten runs into him and you get a little jump scare out of that moment before jump scares were quite what they are now uh even that's kind of comical 
because you knew he left. You knew he was trying to get away, and you also knew he wasn't going to get away, but we didn't know when he's going to come back. So that moment in the doorway of the cabin is, is ha, ha, oh, it's one of those, you know, three you get, well, I yeah. think, yeah, they, they are silly guys to begin with. Like Sam yes. Raimi, Bruce Campbell, Ted Raimi, all of them, they, they've been friends for a million years, and they're silly guys. Like, they, they love the Three Stooges. Um, it's a huge influence on these movies and so it comes through even when they're not trying to let it come through you see them just kind of like goofing because they're buddies and they're having fun you know torturing each other and making a movie together slapstick horror yeah well every absolutely t- every time ash gets thrown into a shelf you know or gets yeah. blood blasted in his face i mean you can sort of see that like Sam Raimi's probably laughing behind the camera when that's happening, you know. I mean, and of course the the behind the scenes things about like anytime they replace an actor with someone, they call him a shimp because yes, because they're a love. And they even do it in the credits. Yeah, they put it in the credits. Big shimp, the the whole list. Which that's another thing. Watching the credits to this movie, there are two reasons to watch the credits. One is to hear the wacky, ridiculous music that plays at the end. Uh, but the other is to see how few people were actually involved yes. in making this movie. Like, it's it's wild. Uh, so we talked about the cast, and something that I think gets overlooked, is, or maybe not overlooked, but not talked about enough, how incredible that set is. How oh incredible God, the cabin yes. is, because it's a lot of times a mistake that I think gets made in, in horror or thrillers or whatever is the set is so overwhelmingly grotesque that you're like, why would they stay here? Like, no normal person would walk into this place dripping ooze covered in cobwebs and just hang. You'd be like, whatever, we're getting our deposit back. Let's go to the Motel 6. (laughs) But they created this cabin that is, it is spooky, and it has just enough decrepitude to to be a little uneasy, but it's reasonable that they stay. Mm -hmm. And... Throughout the course, uh, I would love to see a floor plan of it. I'm sure they're out there online. But throughout the course of the movie, we kind of explore this cabin. And he gets you sort of just familiar enough with where it is to know, like, she's in there. Is she coming back? Where is she coming from? Uh, it's, It's a claustrophobic environment, and yet there is plenty of space for them to do the things that they need to do. Yeah. Well, I mean, I know they found, like, a cabin in Tennessee, but I, their main production designer was a carpenter. <laughs> so they just had a carpenter who would create all these specific things. But, yeah, it, it, I mean, a lot of times, uh, I mean, it's the quintessential cabin in the woods movie. Um, and you do feel that. And, and also just with the, 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 the allowance for things to, like, burst through. I mean, the, 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 uh, the cellar door. I mean, all that stuff, which is very iconic for the Evil Dead franchise is... A lot of that, they sort of, that's what you think about when you think of Evil Dead as those specific moments. But yeah, I mean, and, and you think within a cabin, like, how can you feel? But when you have things that are coming at you, the claustrophobia of it, and knowing that when you go outside, you're just in darkness. And yeah, claustrophobia trees. and isolation. Yeah, yeah. lots you know, of trees. That's, that's what, you know, kind of creates the feeling of dread, is those two elements. And that's why in movies today... It's harder to make a horror movie because it's so hard for us to be isolated these days because of technology. So having that feeling of claustrophobia and isolation, it makes you feel helpless. There you go. Yeah, literally every movie now is like, I don't have any reception, and that's how they deal with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think one of the most interesting things about the set to me, one thing that always fascinated me with, you know, obviously a lot of limbs getting cut off, 
but I love the fact that they had actors under the floor like coming out with mm -hmm. it, like I love how they had all that built in to make it look more realistic and I, there's there's like diagrams and drawings of how they did these gags uh, but it's well, like when they when they chop up the body and yeah. the individual parts are moving. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, things like me. I was like, oh man, they must have a hole here, a hole here. I mean, they yeah. had to rearrange certain things to make some of those shots, or when they were at the bus through doors, or think hands come through like doors or through uh, underneath the cellar door. I mean, yeah, there's so many really cool shots that sort of like you don't think about, but you know, they had to sort of map that out or figure out on the day. Well, even when she's. Uh floating in front of the window. Yeah, Very yeah. clearly, they have some sort of thing holding her up through the window, but it just... It, sometimes simplicity is the best thing. Yeah. Well, and I think... Um Compared to other films where it's more like uh, splat stick, as they call it, uh, even the gore is much more gruesome. I mean, the, the, the pencil into the ankle oh, is oh, hard to watch. Well, and it just keeps going. It keeps yeah. going. It's well, not just a quick, you know. Well, there's a thing with ankles and legs in this film because there's also a part where she's scratching at Ash's yes. leg and, and yeah. she keeps going. I was like, stop, lady. <laughs> uh, and, and just watching it again, I was like, wow. I, I mean, I think that's a difference because when you you watch other films it, it's just more more sort of what they call spastic or just gory where you're not really as bothered by it well i, think, I, I think, want to get to the next gag well i think because that, he has more money he has more think, ideas i think that's where the, that's where the unpredictability factor yeah i think in. i think that's where the, the remake sort of feels more akin to this the first one mm -hmm. because of because you're at the, the gore is much more gruesome as opposed to just um, it's when you're expecting it to cut away it goes five or ten seconds longer yeah yes. yeah you yes. know and you're like oh, i'd really like you to cut away because i don't like this this makes me feel uncomfortable and then he's like okay a little more there you go well and that's when shelly shelly's death scene when she's on the floor she takes forever she's just screaming and and arriving and yeah. like, and they it just lingers and that's what it is is in this one and i i don't know if it's because look we're shooting this scene we have this amount of money, this amount of time. Let's just make this last two minutes instead yeah. of one minute. Well, there's also the part where she bites her hand off, uh, oh, which is yes, it's hard yes. to watch too. So yeah. I, mean, uh, I mean, I will say there's moments where the effects is kind of goofy and and goes back and forth, and there was limitations of that. But then those moments like that are so visceral and gruesome. It's like wow, okay, this is why people, this is why I got banned in the UK is because of those specific moments. And that's the thing is, it's not even necessarily the gore effect that's disturbing. It's why is she doing that? Yeah. 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 Ah, I mean that's it. it is and Raimi has a talent for making things uncomfortable and confusing. Like, oh, yeah. that, this is upsetting me not because of the blood gushing out, but because of this person, this this demon person's actions are so horrifying. And you can't you can't help but put yourself, you know, into the place a little bit and just uh, it just makes your skin crawl. I yeah. think that one of the things that's more disturbing than the blood and everything else is all the other fluids that are flying out of people, like yes. the milk, like the, the milky the, white stuff. The glow oatmeal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, that yeah. is so grotesque to me. It makes me sick to my stomach, and I love it. <laughs> In a good way. In a good way. So, uh, to revisit this, for the, when you guys found out that you were going to be doing an Evil Dead panel at Dragon Con, what was kind of the first thing that popped into your head, the first thing you knew you had to talk about, whether it's a scene or a moment or, or just anything about the movie? What was the top of your list? 
the first thing I wrote on my list was what I just talked about. Milk. Yeah, milk. <laughs> White stuff shooting out of people. Um, I mean, you know, I think we got to talk about the, the tree scene. Um, yeah, that's memorable. Yeah. You know, it's... <laughs> it's I don't know if it's the elephant in the room or not. I mean, it's one of the most intense... And I saw it when I was young-ish... Uh, and I remember being really not knowing how to feel about it um, and it, yeah just feeling incredibly uncomfortable and kind of at that age where I wasn't a hundred percent sure what was going on but I kind of thought I knew what was going on um, so that that made a huge impact on you know relatively young me I mean I was probably you know the early very early teens preteen type age when I saw this and uh, just being like wait what what's ha-? You know, another moment of just right what is happening what what are they what's what is it doing to her the, fir- you know? the first time I saw this movie was with, with my parents oh, and uh, I was a small child and I was like uh, seven or eight but my parents did that classic thing where like I'm seeing all this gore people are getting hacked up like it's so brutal and like my parents are just sitting there like eating popcorn but then it gets to the tree scene and they're like whoa hold on like no you can't see this and it's just it's just always funny to me I, I've had that moment yeah a few times where because uh, my, my son's uh, about to turn 14 so he's he's started to see some stuff now he's seen Army of Darkness but there have been moments where I've been showing him things especially stuff from like the 80s that you haven't seen in a while because when we saw it back then society had a different context uh i was younger and i didn't pick up on everything that was in the movie yeah and so i'll be like oh hey we should watch goonies and every other word in goonies is a horribly offensive word and I'm just like, oh, no, I didn't realize this was going to happen. And I've had those moments where I've been like, we're going to either stop this movie or I have to figure out some way to distract him from this moment. And that's when we went to rewatch The Evil Dead. I was like, hey, do you want to come in here and watch The Evil Dead with us? It's the first one of Army of Darkness. And he was doing something else with his friends online at the time so he didn't and then we got to the tree scene and I was like oh yeah well I'm glad we're not all sitting here watching this together as a family (laughs) this is not a this is not a brunch conversation I care to have at this moment what's happening to that lady dad (laughs) oh I mean he was like I said he's about to turn 14 he would know why he just wouldn't know why is a tree doing that yeah yes yeah Um, and I it just it makes everyone feel very icky, uncomfortable but yeah when when you're a little bit younger and and i was just like watching it with my friends i think and i was just like uh you know you know and you don't want to as a kid feel like you don't exactly know what's going on so you don't want to like ask your friend to be like is this really like the tree doing what i think this is this what's happening well because i want to seem cool but i was like hey that's what's interesting about where we are in society right now uh is that we see that scene and it's it's the worst thing in the movie. Mm-hmm. It's the most uncomfortable, horrifying thing in the movie. Yeah. And yet, these people all murder their friends all movie long. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's it's a very interesting, and you know, I'm sure Raimi's conscious of that because he's like I said, he dabbles in the uncomfortable. He well, knows it, again, what he's doing. it's the pure helplessness of her in that scene. Yes. 
She can't... It's it's her surroundings are attacking her. She can't run from it because it's it's all around her, you know? There's no way she can fight it. There's no way she can... You know, she can't kick him in the balls. She can't punch him in the face because it's it's her environment that is attacking her. So it's like utter complete helplessness which is one of the scariest things for a human being to feel is completely helpless so it, it is yeah it's it's way worse to me than like hacking up your friend <laughs> so what was your first popped into your head about this one I think for me I, I, I had to rewatch the original because I, I don't want to get it confused with Evil Dead 2 yeah. uh, yes. I think yeah. that was my biggest concern I don't want to come on this panel and like hey remember that scene where he put a chainsaw <laughs> right. on his hand oh no that's right. it too <laughs> right. um, so I, I think that's the main thing because I think they sort of like they coexist and they kind of intermingle and and I wanted to sort of get a, a, a fresh eye to it again and I think that's the main thing is trying to make sure just just I mean I always knew like growing up that uh, it was much more dramatic that it had much more of a a darker edge to it I mean they both have all the films have a darker edge to it but um, but yeah the main thing is is trying to make sure that I that it could uh, distinctly say okay this is in this film this is in that film and I think and they kind of toned down the tree thing in the second one yeah, yeah. Yeah. much more yeah, yeah. so um, and I, I was the same way I mean I, I was a kid that saw I spit on your grave as a young kid I was like yeah. oh I love those last 15 minutes and I watched it in college and I was like ooh I missed the whole first yeah, 45 yeah. minutes of that um, so yeah it, it is one of those films that, that uh, I think that's what Again, that's kind of cool that that it, it is a, a much darker and much more serious in how it goes. Even though there's all these interesting other forms that they like stop motion animation for certain parts that sort of like you don't really see in a lot of horror films in yeah. general. But yeah, I think that's the main thing is that you have a lot of stop motion and and other things that they use to sort of like accentuate a lot of the effects as well. Yeah, that's so fascinating that they went that route. Uh, and, and I mean, I don't know how else he would have achieved what he wanted to put in the movie, but to that stop motion, it is, you're right, in a horror film, that's such an odd thing to see. Uh, and it it's one of those things that it doesn't look great, obviously. It's this weird stop motion, almost like claymation looking yeah. stuff. But you also love it yeah. yeah, because it's innovative and different and he knew what he wanted. Yeah. That's how he got it. He had a vision. He committed. And he was like, I need to have this like headless got to see this on doing screen. Doing this ballet and how else are you going to do it? So instead of making the concession of being like, you know, what's that? See, you just oh, did darn it. it. Yep, did it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, we're talking about the, uh, the body the melting at the end. Although, yeah. although, I will say, like, you know, there's parts of, like, it feels very claymation, but the scene where the head's, like, the, the body starts falling down, the way it's shot, you can feel Ash's, like, tensions, like, oh, crap, this thing's <laughs> all near me. And so, yeah, I mean, the, the way they incorporate it, there's moments where you're like, oh, this is kind of cheesy, but there's other moments like, oh, that's actually genius. That actually works really well. And then, of course, the head rolls away and just... Gore, ichor, spew right in Bruce Campbell's beautiful face. Which I think is the last thing they shot was the, that thing exploding in his face. So. <laughs> Clay, what about you? What was your first thought? About having to be on the panel, re yeah. rewatching the first movie, and then rewatching Army of Darkness, really, and seeing how it got from one end to the, seeing how we progressed from one. Whole of the continuum to 
the other pole of the continuum and how there's still horror when you look at that film but the comedic aspects have turned up so much and I always, I, I always look at the first movie and I'm fond of thinking of it, of it as not having any comedy whatsoever but it does mm -hmm. um, it has comedic moments they're just turned down very low and they're there just to give you a break from the unpredictability and the shock of everything else that they're throwing at you. So, another thing that kind of got melded in my brain a little bit, you have the book and the Kandarian dagger mm -hmm. that I think the versions in later films are definitely the ones that stick because when the book first shows up in this one, yeah. rewatching it, I've got uh, the Anchor Bay did a Book of the Dead release of oh. this on DVD that comes with what's supposed to be a prop replica of the book and it's it's not it's really more the book from the second movie because in this movie I, the book is actually more gruesome it, it is more of a Caucasian flesh tone it doesn't look like old leather as much I mean it looks like skin and it's more it's cruder and a little more grotesque I think The and again, again the the iconic version that we all think of now is the brown one with the face on the front, but this one it's 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 more disgusting, I think. Uh, and then the dagger also looks, you know, a good bit different in this one, but gorgeous. The the hilt uh, when it gets stabbed into her back, and then the blood is pouring out of the little mouth. I mean, what a what a fantastic visual! What a great design on that. Yeah. Uh, so that stuff, you look at that stuff, and again, you're just amazed that. He knew what he wanted, he saw it in his head, and, and we're looking at it on film. He made it happen. Well, especially something so low budget, you know, because I know uh, Tom Sullivan did a lot of the special effects and created a lot of the props for it. But, you know, just get it, think, you know, this is a low budget production. Somebody's going to draw each one of those pages that you have to flip through, you know, add all that art and stuff, um, which they did even more so because they had a bigger budget in a second. But, yeah, I, I think... Um, Again, for this to be so low budget, they could have easily not really put any kind of like thought or into the production value of those specific items. But those, I mean, compared to other films, they really stand out. Really I cool ideas of a, a knife you could stab into somebody and blood comes out of the, a little bit of smoke too. Yes, <laughs> blood yes. and smoke come out of the mouth of the, the little... The little uh, so there's a reason why there's a little, little skull, skull head at the end. Um, or even the book as well, you know, because uh, you know they probably had to make probably more more than one version of it considering the one burn up in the uh, fire so but yeah I mean that's the cool thing about it those things still even though they sort of like tweak it a little bit and I own the Anchor Bay thing as well because it's like Star Wars they keep coming out with a new edition yeah, of the I, on I DVD know. or Blu-ray and you gotta yeah, buy yeah. all of them right because you gotta be a completist um but yeah, yeah, that's I mean that's the cool part of it is that there's these specific props or things that you that are very iconic after you see it, and they make it make it stand out among all the films that come out around, especially around that specific uh, era. So, as far as looks in the movie, whether it's the set, the props, anything else, like what kind of stuff stands out to you guys? Uh, just as as a remarkable thing, or is something specifically Raimi? Uh, to me, it's the makeup. You know, I, I, the makeup in the movie is, is incredible. It's it's so. <sighs> over the top but fantastic I love it and, and as somebody who likes to dabble in stuff like that 
I, I love it. Um, it's absolutely fantastic. Well, and the makeup's interesting because, again, the Deadites each have a look, a personality, and varying levels of what their makeup is. Some of it's almost crude. Uh, the Again, uh, okay, Linda sitting laughing. Yeah. Yep. So Linda sitting in the doorway laughing. Like, she looks grotesque, but it's almost like they told an eight-year-old to draw a zombie face on her. Yeah. Like, yeah. it's not the most complex thing, but it's almost more unsettling because of how crude yeah. it is. Well, yeah, well, her look is like that she, you know, like, becomes a deadite and then went to put her makeup on. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, You're right. yeah. It's all blue yeah. eyeshadow and red lipstick, and it, but it's like she was like... I never thought of it that way, but that's... that's yeah, that's, yeah. That's absolutely. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, she was like, oh, let me be pr a pretty deadite. Um, I'm going to go, I'm gonna go laugh at this guy. Let me yeah, myself it's, off. Yeah, it's very, like, it's and like taking picture, 80s makeup to the extreme. You can picture her with the lipstick, like the scene earlier with the drawing in the book. Yeah. Yep. Same thing going on with the makeup. Yeah, yeah. and that's exactly what it is. And I, I love her look. And then Shelly's look is just grotesque. Um, in yeah. the best way, and and she's so frightening. Um, I just I, I love the makeup. Yeah, it's fantastic. And, and to go back to the whole unpredictability factor of the first movie, at that point, there's not a visual uh, there's not a visual cliche of what a dead eye is supposed to look like. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, so they could do anything that they wanted to, and they created attributes that of the dead eyes. That were unique to each each person, like you're saying. But rather than, I think certainly by the time you get to Army of Darkness, but even in Evil Dead 2, by that point, there's a little bit of the uh, standardization of mm -hmm. what a Deadite's supposed to look like. And now, of course, all the distinctiveness I think is completely gone. I think even in the TV series, as much as I liked it, the uniqueness of the visual Deadite design is pretty gone. Yeah, that's a really good point. Uh, for me, it's the uh, the car. I like, and that's based on the other movies and all the little cameos. But I mean, that's one of the first things I think of. I, I love seeing the car. I get hyped about it. Yes, that you see in every Sam Raimi. Sam movie Raimi's car. Ever. Yeah. yeah. The old. Yep. Was it an old Buick or Oldsmobile? It also has a cameo in the remake, which to me makes it feel like the remake is more of a sequel because why else is the car there but well, how did it get back there I don't know. Said that it was connected. yeah 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 it was even in the quick and the dead uh yeah mm -hmm. they built like a, a thing around it so it's actually in that western film as well yeah it's it's in the movie in disguise it's, yeah. it's in cosplay exactly <laughs> yes as a wagon i think <laughs> uh so do you guys when you heard evil dead panel at dragon con uh, any anything that you guys want to share? Any thoughts about the movie? Anything that uh, changed your life about Evil Dead? Because I mean, you know, as we've heard, led us to become creative, led us to become filmmakers, led us to find uh, to, uh, a passion for horror, or like I said, in my case, confused the heck out of me as to why it wasn't funny. Yeah. Um, it seems that project. Project. I, I have a question, mainly. Yes. It, it seems like in the two releases of the internet, they cut off, uh, they cut out a lot of the goofy stuff, like the man in the bushes and the tubes you can see. Is there? How do you find the original, original version? 
Would it be like VHS or something? I'm, I'm not, not aware sure of this. what you're talking about, actually. Oh, to my knowledge, uh, it, it's... Seen the first one, that's what you're saying, right? I, I haven't seen, like, because he edited out, like, seeing Sam oh. Raimi of, like, uh, there's a man in a bush you could see of the camera, and, like, you could see the tubes where the blood was, like, shooting out. I think he's talking about the short film they did that they... Within the woods? Yeah, because he did a short film to help sell on making the feature film, and that one's very low budget, low grade. But, I mean, it, but if you look at any of the films like Evil Dead 2, I mean, you can see the seams in Henrietta oh, yeah. when she's... Yeah. I mean, yeah. they, they, they haven't taken a lot of that stuff out there, but I, I don't, yeah, I don't know. Well, in the, the recent Blu-ray, the new Blu-ray releases, he did go back and, and like, that was... He cleaned it up? Yeah, he hey, George lucas it? You don't see the wire on the eyeball anymore. Yeah. Oh, oh okay. When she gets shot in the, with a single shotgun in the door, that blood tube's gone. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. See, I didn't know about this. Yeah. Because I bought, uh, I don't know if it was the first Blu-ray Blu release of Evil Dead, uh, but I, I got one of the early ones, and when I watched it, it just looked too crisp and clean to me and I didn't like it, which sounds kind of dumb because obviously you want, oh, I don't want the clearest picture I can get. But something about it, it just didn't feel right watching it and I got rid of it uh, after watching it one time and I, I haven't gotten it on Blu-ray again and knowing that, I, I feel, I mean, look, I want Raimi to be able to have access to it and make it look however he wants it to look because I'll still always have, uh, if you, they're probably expensive now, especially hearing that. Uh, Anchor Bay probably did what four or five releases of Evil Dead. I There's, feel like they do uh, one every month. Yeah, <laughs> we, we have yeah. so yeah, many. You could join the Evil Dead Club, and they would send you a new version every month <laughs> yeah. for a year. Um, we both had a couple copies of it before we got together, and then we got together and merged our belongings. Yeah, so now we have like seven so, different. So yeah, we have <laughs> so many versions of Evil Dead. Another company. Uh, I cannot remember the name of the company, but they released it. comes in like a clear case, like it's a hard ABS plastic case rather than a standard DVD case. Um, and I've got that edition as well because they have tons of special features between them and a lot of them aren't shared. Uh, so, I mean, if you get online, I'm sure you can find one of those versions. That's the thing. I've looked through a pirating websites and it's just the programmers. Oh, well, I, I, I cannot endorse pirating, so I can't talk about it. <laughs> uh, Find an old used one on, on yeah, DVD or VHS. Yeah, or that, I think the DVD. Be loud. Uh, I was curious, what are you guys' thoughts on the Evil Dead Rides coming up? The new Evil Dead movie that's been announced. Look, I'm, I, uh, my, my, did you guys hear that? Yeah. Thoughts about the new one? Yeah. Um, I try not to have expectations for anything because you never know uh when, when i heard that they were doing an evil dead remake without bruce campbell uh i was furious i didn't want it i didn't want to see it and then it turned out to be in my opinion a freaking awesome movie yeah i think yeah. it's incredible i know we're, we're only supposed to talk about the first movie but can i can well, i tell we can my talk about the can i tell my now, remake though, movie we're, we're wrapping it up okay so um i saw the remake i was really excited about it i saw it in the theater and I kind of left the theater like, mm. you know, I, I was a little bit frumpy about it. And then we talked about it later, several years later, and he was like, I can't believe you didn't like that movie. It's so good. It's so this, it's so that. And he kind of encouraged me to read. And I didn't hate it. I was just like, 
well... I was like, give it another shot. You know, Don't think of it as, like, the Evil Dead remake. Just watch it yeah. as a movie. And, and yeah. so I went back, and we actually all watched it together, uh, me, Ryan, and Dave, and, and a couple other It's a great folks. party movie. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? I was wrong. I was absolutely wrong. This is a love story to the original... And I was being a snob. I was being a remake snob. It's fine. I'll admit it. Um, the the gore, the effects are fantastic. Uh, it it really has the heart of the first one, um, and it, it has a, a good story to tell. And yeah, and I do like to think of it more as as another sequel as opposed to a remake or retelling because it's a different story about this cabin in the woods and a different group of folks. So. Um, you know, I just I, I didn't give it a chance because I was being kind of a snob. I when I saw the remake, I had a pretty intense uh, experience. So I saw it in theater. I saw it at a screening, like an early screening, and I'd heard like a little buzz about it, but you know, I didn't know what to think. And you know, I'm also a horror snob, so like all of us probably. So I'm just like, oh man, remake without you know without Bruce Campbell is gonna be terrible. But I'm watching this, and I'm like, this is so insanely violent and brutal and like I love everything about this but then I I hear this woman beside me at the part with the bread cutter do you remember that oh yeah yeah <laughs> she's sawing off her arm and uh, slowly. very slowly and it shows so slow. everything uh, but I hear this woman be- beside me and I just hear her go huh oh, no. oh. <laughs> and uh, I'm like what's happening and I turn to my right and then she literally grabbed me I don't know this woman she grabbed me and she went, oh, and then passed out, out, out. And I was like, oh my God, oh my God. Like, you know, tried to help her up. And, and uh, her friends like took her out of the theater, but she literally passed out in the theater. That is a fact because of the bread cutter scene. So I just think that's interesting. It, it blew my mind. So to have said all that, the, the yeah. point to get back to is I do my best to not have expectations, to not think, oh, they shouldn't be doing this. It yeah. doesn't sound like the premise that they put forth is interesting. I don't love it, but I'm not. I mean, I'm going to see it. Yeah. It's the second yeah. it's available to put in these eyeballs because I want more Evil Dead. I want more creators involved with Evil Dead. I want different visions. I want to see different things because that remake, Fede Alvarez took this concept and blew it out of the water in my opinion it's phenomenal yeah. what he did with it and that's what I want from Evil Dead now I love Bruce Campbell but he's had his he's, he's done his thing he, he's done his duty for us mm-hmm. now I think it's time to really see what interesting new exciting filmmakers can do with the concept well I, I'm going to disagree um, I'm an old. I mean, I like the Ash vs. Evil Dead series. I think yeah. that tapped yeah. more into the type of Evil Dead stuff. Yay, Evil Dead stuff I want to see. I was not. A, I own the, the re- Evil Dead re- Evil Dead remake, so I'm a complete. You, you have to. You're obligated. Uh, and I enjoy they did something different, but that's not the Evil Dead I want to pursue. I, I, I kind of like that 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 weird tone they have like an Evil Dead 2 and yeah. Ash vs. Evil Dead so and I'm interested to see I want to see Evil Dead Rise I think Lee Cronin is a very talented director and I think he could bring a different perspective and I want to see some new characters become like the new ashes of this universe but I, I hope that they find that sort of middle place to where it's not too much like the remake and sort of like the Ash versus Evil Dead element I kind of want a little bit of humor in there as well but that's just me but I, I like I like the humor I like both paths and if there's a way to maintain the ultimate experience in grueling terror and 
the the you know boink, ah, whoa, type of stuff, <laughs> then then that's great, and I think we can have both. Uh, yeah, I, I'm just curious to see what form it takes. Uh, all right, we got to wrap it up, so we want your final. We're going to start all the way down at the left with Clay. I want your final thought about the Evil Dead. Something to to for these fine people to take home and really chew on something pithy and also tell us where we can find you online and what you're up to. Okay. Well, as far as Evil Dead goes, I think everyone who hasn't seen the original film ought to go home and fix that. Um, as far as what I'm up to, I'm working on a, a dark urban fantasy novel called Pearl of the Shadows, which is a sequel to novel I wrote a couple of years ago, published a couple of years ago, called Pearl of Monster Story. Uh, and uh, as far as where I'm going to be next, I'm doing a couple more panels in this room, including a David Cronenberg panel, the on that panel. Um, and I've got a signing tomorrow at some points in the app. Uh, my whole schedule's in the app, but anyway. Uh, final thought. Um, I'm kind of expanding on what you said. If you haven't watched it recently, um, go ahead and give it a rewatch because, like we've kind of been saying, they, you know, one, two, and Army of Darkness tend to sort of meld together in our minds because there's so many, um, you know, especially one and two because they're kind of go hand in hand. Rewatch the first one and remember that feeling of how intense it was. And yes, there is some goofy stuff in it. Some's intentional, some's not intentional. But it is a dark, visceral experience. You know, try to get yourself back to that place of like your first watch of this movie and let just experience it again. Um, and remember, and I love Army of Darkness. I love Part 2. I love all that. But remember that that uncomfortable feeling of watching these people be just ripped apart emotionally, physically, and mentally. And, um, you know, just revisit that love of that. And as far as me, you can find me on Instagram uh, as Battle Cougar. And tomorrow I will be here at 5.30 for the... Uh, werewolf, 1981 Werewolves panel. Um, and then the rest of the con, I'll be walking around drinking vodka. So come find me and say hi. I'm also on Twitter as at ClayGilbert1, and I'm on Facebook. Uh, yeah, um, so final thoughts. I mean, I love The Evil Dead so much. My band has a song called Candarian. Um, I am obsessed, have been for a long time. When I met Bruce Campbell, uh, at a convention, uh, I actually told him, I was like, hey, I'm in a band, and we have a song called Candarian. And he said, that's awesome. I hope it doesn't suck. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, that's the best Bruce Campbell response I could have ever had. Um, I, I love these movies. There's not much more to say for me. Um, you know, obviously they're great. Army Darkness is still my favorite, but uh, that was the first one I saw. So, And, uh, yeah, check out my band, The Casket Creatures, and uh, we'll be around drinking vodka and come say hey. Um, yeah, Evil Dead uh, means a lot to me. Evil, the, the first Evil Dead is where creativity and passion have a baby and they create this. Um, there's so much really cool stuff they do in it. You can sort of see Sam Raimi, you know, he was just a, a talented dude. He had, I mean, from everything from 
just his kinetic camera work, the, the sound design, you know, how he can make just, you know, a camera moving above boards, you hear each board go by, you know, how he would incorporate that to sort of add so much ambiance and, and uh, uh, tension in certain scenes, or, or he would recall a certain scene, because there's a there's scene where he, he's acting like he's asleep and his girlfriend's trying to take his little box away from him, and then later on we have the opposites where she's acting asleep, you know, so it's, there's so many great moments that you can sort of see that Sam Raimi was, he was 20 when he made this film. Oh my God. And uh, I can't imagine making something, yeah, somebody who just turned 50, I feel old as AF. Um, So, and I hope I can even tap into anything that he tapped into this film. So yeah, this film means so much to me. I mean, Evil Dead 2 is my overall favorite horror film ever made but there would not be a two without a a one Mm -hmm. Uh, and this really broke you know a lot of boundaries with you know when it came to camera work and horror films whereas it wasn't just I mean there was a lot of giallo and a lot of foreign filmmakers who were doing a lot of crazy stuff with the camera work not a lot of American filmmakers so Uh, but yeah Um, of course I'm a filmmaker Uh, my newest film Backward Creep it's a short horror film we're going to make into a feature hopefully possibly by next year but right now it's only, it's actually screening at two film festivals this weekend at Santa Ana California at uh, Horrible Imaginings and it's also playing New, Jer- New Jersey Horror Con um, also I did a segment for a horror travel travel horror anthology called Worst Late Plans which will be released sometime next year so look for that also if you want to follow me on my social medias I like films on Twitter Instagram TikTok <laughs> Where all, where all the kids are hanging out. Um, that sounded weird. Um, uh, but anyway, you can also check me out on podcasts. Not in uh, that way. I know. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna go back to my room now. Um, uh, you can also check me on podcasts on uh, with horror, with uh, horror news radio with the Gruesome Magazine guys, uh, as well as Heroes and Droids if you're into like action or superhero type stuff. And I just want to reiterate. If you haven't watched it in a while, go back and watch it and just watch The Evil Dead. And give yourself like a week before you watch the others and yes. take it in. Uh, you can find me in the Needless Things podcast, uh, Phantom Troublemaker on Instagram. And please, we got to clear the room out pretty much now. Stop by the charity bucket on your way out. Thank you, everybody, for coming out. Dragon Con Horror Thank Crash. You everybody. I can't believe. It's only been a month since Dragon Con. It feels like it's been forever. Uh, But it was a great year. We had a blast. As you can hear, we had a great time working together and doing fun things. And it's October now, so it's it's the spooky season. It's Halloween time, and there's so many fun things to do. Uh, The world is more open than it was at this time last year. I am hoping to make it out to a corn maze. I would love to get out to a haunt because my experience thus far is that the people who do the kinds of things that I like to do are good, responsible people. So I feel pretty good about getting out and doing stuff and, you know, still masking up or whatever. But, uh, you know, the world is, is better than it was a year ago, and I think that's something we should all be happy about and we should all... You know, try to experience as much fun, spooky stuff as we can over the next month. Because it's out there to be had this time. So don't, like, you know, last year, how bad were we all wishing we could get out and do some stuff. This year, you can get out and do some stuff. So don't don't let the, the stay-at-home-itis uh, infect you. Get out there and, you know, be safe. But do, do a few things. Get out and 
you know, get if there's an open anything. Like I said, a corn maze is a great thing to go out and do outside, out in the open. You don't have to be as worried uh, in that kind of circumstance. Lots of outdoor things you can do this time of year. Uh, please get out and do them. You know, don't just sit around the house like, well, you know, I don't, I don't whatever, I'm comfortable. Get out and have some fun because think about how miserable you were this time last year with nothing happening. Uh, you know, make, make your fun, people. Make your spooky fun. Thanks for listening. Uh, tune in the rest of the month. And always, I love you guys. You have been listening to a Needless Things podcast. You can follow Needless Things on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and at needlessthingspodcast.com. Love you. Mean it. Uh-huh.